going to ask you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 12, the Gospel of Luke and the 12th chapter. When my wife and I were traveling a few weeks ago in the Northwest, there were several occasions when one or the other of us would say, look in the back, look through the mirror, look where we've been. Because as you know, as you're going through the mountains, as you're climbing, you have wonderful views around you. But as you climb in elevation, you have the opportunity to look back to see where you've been. And often the view behind you is more spectacular than the one before you. I'd like for us to take a look in the rearview mirror this morning as we bring to a close this series on apologetics. In April, we had a brief series of messages on making friends for heaven's sake. That idea of making friends for the sake of God's kingdom was not new to this congregation. Some were already practicing it, and we heard how they were practicing it. The vision of making friends for heaven's sake is to intentionally create friendships with unbelievers and then to pray that God will provide opportunities, natural opportunities, to plant a witness in their lives. And there were a number of folks in our congregation who, who caught that vision and over the last several months have been trying, with God's help, to connect in a brand new way with unbelievers because one of the issues a lot of us face is that we've lost contact with them. Our friendships have tended to gravitate toward other believers and we've lost friendships with unbelievers. We need to rekindle those friendships. But when we do that, there's a certain risk involved and, and we feel that risk because we're a little afraid that we're going to be asked something or confronted by something from these new friends that we don't know how to deal with, that we don't, a question that we don't know how to answer perhaps. And so next we began dealing with some of the common questions or objections to the idea of being a person of faith. And we reminded ourselves that everyone lives by faith, by faith in something or someone. There are no exceptions to that. Unbelievers live by faith as well as we do. And we sought to demonstrate that, that true faith is a reasonable thing. And we sought to demonstrate that why trusting God and what He says is absolutely the most reasonable action that any of us can take. There is no contradiction between faith and reason. God created us with the capacity for both. And He expects us to use both in our spiritual life. After that, we took several weeks to examine why believing in Jesus as the Son of God and in His cross as the payment of God for our sins, why that makes sense. It is reasonable. It is historical. It is the actual real basis for our Christian faith. We do not believe in blind faith. We believe in a faith that is informed. Our faith rests upon information that is true and accurate regarding Jesus, that He is the Son of God. But there are some who find it hard to believe that uh, anything is true. For them, truth 
is unknowable. Or if it, it does exist, you can't know it. We, we're, we've invested now several weeks in this whole idea of truth. And the fact that truth does exist and that there are terrible consequences if we ignore or reject the truth. A family, a person, a culture, a church that rejects the truth is in deep, deep trouble because truth comes to us from our Creator. And so I hope that we've come to an understanding now after these several weeks that truth does exist and that it's knowable. And because of that, folks, it makes you and me responsible for what we do with it. Truth exists, it is knowable, and you and I are therefore responsible for what we do with it. Notice the words of Jesus here in the 12th chapter of Luke, and I begin in verse 42. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds so doing when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of it. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready and does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But to the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. And then the principle. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We are responsible for what God has given to us. We in this nation, we in a Bible-teaching church, those who have attended a Christian school, we who have been discipled by someone, we who have been taught in a small group or in a mid-sized group, we have been given much. And for that, we are responsible to God. What are we to do? Let me suggest first that the step that we must take initially is to own it. To own it. In John chapter 8, Jesus makes that famous statement, you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Everybody knows that verse, but few people know the verse before it. In that verse it says, to those who had believed on him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Notice he's speaking to those who had believed on him. 
Now, in this context, and in a couple of other places in the Gospel of John, he seems to use this, this verb, believe, in a sense other than genuine saving belief. He's using it in the sense of people who have made a profession of believing, but who haven't yet demonstrated that by their lives. And so he said to those who believed on him, if you hold to my teaching, then are you really my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus was saying, it is not enough for you to say you believe what I teach. You must own for yourself what I teach. You must demonstrate that you are following my teaching. Then are you really my disciples. It is not enough to say, I believe. We have to show it. This involves owning the truth. By this I mean choose God's truth for the core of your life. Don't just inherit it. One of the dangers of growing up in a Christian family, and there are some, one of the dangers of growing up in a Christian household is learning about the truth from the time that you are very small and inheriting that truth as part of your life and your culture, but failing to own it for yourself. If that's God calling, tell him that um, we appreciate his phone call. Thank you, Doug. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> Thanks for turning off your cell phones. You have to own the truth for yourself. In the book of Proverbs, the 23rd chapter and the 23rd verse, it says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth. Own it. Own it and do not sell it. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul gives the process that we must go through if we are really Christ's disciples. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. So you see, first there's the hearing of the truth. And almost every person here today would say, I've heard the truth. The question is, have you owned it for yourself? A dad was telling me uh, some time ago about uh, his son who was beginning to ask questions that were difficult regarding the Bible and regarding how it was formed and, and regarding whether the Bible was trustworthy. And we agreed together, this is wonderful that the son is asking these kinds of questions. And you know why? because it means that he is beginning now to think about what he's been taught. He is entering into that process that, that people come to in adolescence and sometimes pre-adolescence when they begin to really think about what they've been taught and to own it as their own. I want to challenge you today with this thought.
You know the truth, but do you own it? The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, about the lost, he says, they perished because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. It wasn't they didn't know the truth necessarily, but they didn't love the truth. They didn't have affection for it. You see, salvation requires a step of adhering love. It is embracing the truth for yourself. And so what do you do with the truth? First of all, foundational, basic, own it. Make it yours, not your mother's, not your father's, not your family's faith, but your faith. That's the first step. But I want to go on to a second step that's absolutely critical, and that is to learn it. Learn it. Get skilled in the truth. Get skilled in it. We used this verse some time ago in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but I repeat it this morning. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. It is possible for me as a follower of Jesus to be ashamed, to be ashamed of my inability to, to use the Bible because I've never really learned it. I've owned it for myself in the sense of being saved, but I've never dug into it and learned it. And the fact is that we never arrive at a point of knowing the truth well enough. There's always room for us to grow. It requires staying in the Word over the long haul of time. Do you know more about your Bible than you did a year ago? Are you learning it? Are you growing in your understanding of the Bible? I want to encourage you to get into a Bible study, get into a discipleship group. Find a place where you can connect with a few others and get serious about learning the Word of God. In your own quiet time, don't just read the devotional. Read the verses behind the devotional. Read the Word of God itself. Learn the Word. The point in this is not more knowledge in itself. The point is that through knowing the Word, we become more like Jesus. And so the challenge is to push on to maturity in the truth. Don't be childish. The writer of Hebrews says, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. That's the challenge. To become a mature disciple and follower of Jesus. You say, well, how do I know if I'm mature? That's a good question. To try to help you arrive at the answer to that. 
Our discipleship ministry has created the brochure called The Profile of a Mature Disciple. Now, it's a tool. It's not perfect. But if you will pick up a copy of this over at Grand Central, it will give you an idea of what a mature disciple ought to know, ought to have, and ought to, to be. We need to push on to maturity and not allow ourselves to be satisfied with simply being saved. It begins there by owning the truth for ourselves, but then we need to learn the truth and grow in it into maturity. And then, third, we need to teach it. We need to pass the truth on to the next generation. Don't just assume that they're going to get it, because most likely they won't. That's why in the Old Testament, God said to His people through, the, through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, says Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. In other words, Moses says, God wants not only you to enter the land and possess it, He wants your children to enjoy it and their children and their children and their children. How is this going to happen? Well, in verse 7 he says, impress them, that is the commandments of God, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There are some ultra-Orthodox Jews who take all this very literally. And maybe you've seen pictures of them. And they will have phylacteries or little pouches on their, their hand or on their forehead, tied around their forehead with little scripts of the law of God in them. Well, Moses is not as concerned about literally doing that as he is about obeying the, the, the thrust of this text, which is teach what God says to your children. What you and I come to know must be passed along to the next generation. That, by the way, is the heart of Los Gatos Christian School. It is teaching the subjects for life in the context of God's truth. It is passing along God's truth to the next generation. While we seek to do that in the school, and we seek to do that in our student ministry, you need to understand that the primary responsibility for passing the truth to the children belongs to the parents. The school, the student ministry are here to supplement and to complement and to assist. But moms and dads, God says this to you, teach your children. Impress upon them what God says. Impress upon them the truth. In Timothy, we have an example of a man who experienced that very thing. Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. In other words, Timothy, you owned this. Because you know those from whom you learned it. Say, well, who's that? Back in chapter 1, he names them. His mother and his grandmother had taught Timothy the truth of God. And Paul goes on to say, And how from, an, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Moms and dads, God has given you this responsibility. But let me just take one step further and say, Dad, it is especially your responsibility. Because you are the head of your home. God holds you in particular accountable for the truth being passed on to your children. It is a wonderful privilege. It is a sobering responsibility. Your children will learn from you not only by what you say to them, but how you live. It's not enough to simply drop them off for an activity at church. That is not good enough. You must go the next step and live before them what you're trying to teach them. You need to be involved at the church. You need to be growing in your faith. They need to see you being faithful in church. You, Dad. They, they, they need to see you carrying out the commands of God in your life. It's in that way that you teach the truth to the next generation. I need to press on. Well, let's review. We need to own the truth. Then we need to learn the truth and then teach the truth, passing it on to the next generation. Number four, we need to live it. I've already touched on this but I remind you of what John writes in his third epistle and the third verse. It gives me great joy, he says, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. In other words, what we're saying here is practice the truth in your walk. Don't merely talk it. Apply it to your life. Let it soak down into the way that you think, in the choices that you make, in the activities that you get involved in, the priorities you set in your life. Live it out. Walk in the truth. Number five, support it. Support the truth. That's what we're to do with it. In 1 Timothy, again, the third chapter, he says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you, Timothy, will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. In the context here, Paul seems to be thinking of the local church, an assembly of believers like we are. And he says to Timothy, you know how to instruct the believers, how they are to live as God's household. 
For the, the household of God, the church, he says, is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In other words, the local church in a community upholds the truth. We are the pillar of the truth of God. We are its foundation in this community. We are like a lighthouse that God has established in this place from which shines out the light of God's truth to the whole community. That is our role. And sir, ma'am, young person, old person, whoever you are today, as a part of God's church, you're part of that light. You're a part of that pillar. What are we to do with the truth? We are to hold it up. We are to stand up for the truth in our world and not be intimidated. There are forces at work in our culture to suppress you, to intimidate you, to hold you down, to put you in the back where you belong. What I want to say to you is that God calls you as the pillar and the foundation of his truth. Do never be intimidated by that kind of oppression. Lift high the truth of God in your school classroom. Never be ashamed of it. Speak out for it in the club that you belong to. Write the letters to the editor in a Christian and kindly way, but write the letters to the editor. Or take other kinds of stands, signing petitions, doing whatever you need to do, and above all, living it out so that God's truth is held up in our community. We are to support the truth. And I've added one. There's a number six that you don't have on your outline, so I'll let you create that line. But it is to share it, to share the truth. Support it, but then also to share it. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Communicate the truth to those who need it, and don't be silent. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Use it to correct, to rebuke, to encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Proclaim the word of God. Paul says to the Corinthians, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. He says, we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I like that phrase, setting forth the truth plainly. That's what God calls you and me to do. It needs to be spoken of in every context of our lives. Not forcing it down people's throats, not being obnoxious about it, but just allowing the truth <clears throat> to, to flow through us. Because we own it, we're growing in it to maturity. We're teaching it to others. It just flows from us to others. We share it. Not knowing the truth is tragic. Not knowing the truth is tragic, but my friend, so is possessing the truth and failing to be a steward of it. Oh, how seriously God takes that. 
Because the greater our privilege, the greater our responsibility. The greater your blessings, the greater your responsibility. It is tragic not to know the truth, but possessing the truth and then failing to do with it what we ought to do is an equal tragedy and will bring us into the judgment of God. Do you know what riggers are? Riggers are people who work in the military or sometimes for private contractors and prepare parachutes for those who jump. They have a very tedious and specific responsibility. It is to take that, that material and to fold it a certain number of times in a certain way and then to place it inside the, the carrier for the chute in a way that will allow the one who jumps to pull that ripcord and to have confidence that that chute is going to billow out behind him. It is a responsibility that could cause one to, to be guilty of taking another person's life if he's careless. Can you imagine that kind of responsibility? Of having in your hands the very stuff that another person will depend upon for his life. Can you imagine being in possession of the antidote, <clears throat> the cure for AIDS? For being in a laboratory and discovering through some process or maybe a surprise a way to cure AIDS so that the millions in our world who are infected with this terrible disease could find healing. Or to put it in a different dimension, suppose today that you, you came across a way for there to be fuel energy, power that is self-sustaining, clean burning, and that would replace oil. If you had that kind of knowledge, would you hang on to it? If you possessed the ability to cure a deadly disease, would you keep it to yourself? If you were packing a parachute today, would you thoughtlessly or carelessly do that? you would pay attention knowing that the life of someone else is in your hands. Their future depends upon you. Their welfare depends upon you. May I say to you, if you have the truth of God, you have what this world needs. You have the single source of what will deliver people from eternal condemnation of what will rescue their lives from wreck and ruin. You have it. What will you do with it? To whom much is given, much will be required, said Jesus. Let's make the most of it. God has entrusted it to us. Let's use it to the fullest for our benefit, for our children's benefit, and for our world's benefit.
Let's pray together. Do you own the truth? One of the dangers of going to a Bible teaching church all of your life is growing up hearing it but not owning it. And I know of some who sit here this morning who came to that realization one day. You know, I've heard this all my life, but I've never owned it for myself. And I'm as lost as the one who's never heard it. You need to own it. You need to own it for yourself. Will you own it this morning? Trusting Jesus Christ? Placing your faith in Him? Turning from your sins to trust in Him alone and His work on the cross for your sins? Do it right now. And if you have done that, if you have the truth, if you've owned it, are you growing are you learning it? Are you teaching it? Are you supporting it? Do you share it? Father, I pray that we who know the truth will take very seriously the deep, deep responsibility we have. And I pray that we will carry out that responsibility with joy and enthusiasm because you, Jesus, are coming soon. And when you come, we want to be able to give a good account and hear well done, good and faithful steward of the truth. And I pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life to all who will believe on him. Amen.